Good morning, beloved. What a joy it is to see you in the house of the Lord. It's just an honor to be before you. God is good to us, isn't he? He is so good to us, and we thank him for all that he's done, all that he's doing, and all that he has promised to do. And just, uh, let me just ask you a question. How many of you rather be here than the best hospital in town? Are you, are you, 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 you're glad you're here? Praise God. Or the most reputable funeral home. Praise God. We're glad that we are in the house of the Lord and he has blessed us to see this day. It is a joy to see all of your smiling faces. And I'm thankful for what God, again, is doing this morning. Let's pray together and ask his blessings. Father, we're so grateful and we just honor your presence here. Thank you for the precious ones, your beloved and my dear ones that sit before me now. And we just ask you, Lord God, just to teach us through your word, cause our hearts to be transformed and changed. Help us, Lord God, to embrace who you are and to walk in the fullness of what you desire to be in us. We love you so much. We bless you. Give us clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, accuracy of the text. And help your servant, this your son, to teach in such a way that even a child would be able to embrace the powerful revelation and truth given to us through Scripture. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, we have been looking at our corporate identity. We have been taking just the first few minutes before we get into our proper teaching. We'll be going into Ecclesiastes here in just a moment, but we're going to... Uh, just kind of follow the pattern and break this up into two parts and look at this first part where we look at our corporate identity, who we are as a church family, what God has called us to be, what are our core values, and uh, how do we assimilate or implement those within our lives, not just within these four walls, but hopefully carry them outside these four walls and live them out before others. And uh, I want to look at primarily two of the core values this morning, just for the first few minutes of our teaching, where I want to look at the core value of building family and loving generously. Uh, Building family and loving generously. And more specifically, I want to address what it means to have, watch this, over and above hospitality. Over and above hospitality. This week, I made a phone call that I've been putting off for some time to the Social Security Administration office. And uh, I've been putting it off, but I needed to make the phone call. And uh, my, my wife will tell you for the last probably six months or so, I've been focusing on uh, just getting some things in order I'm making sure that my estate planning is taken care of, my uh, medical directive is uh, put into place, our life insurance is where it needs to be, uh, just, just taking care of business. I, I'm drawing to this motto, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So I, I've just really been locking into that, and part of that was just to look at uh, how I was doing in regards to my Social Security. If it's going to be there at the time that I need it, which I seem to be creeping on it closer and closer, I want to make sure that I know what my benefits are. So I made the phone call to Social Security Administration, and to my surprise, to my surprise, it was not the horrid wait that I thought it would be having to be on, on the phone and holding 
for an hour or holding for two hours. They have an automated system in which the uh, Social Security representative will call you back. You leave your number, and then they call you back. And so I left my number, and uh, sure enough, 55 minutes later, almost on cue, my phone rang, and there was an automated voice that came on and said, you're about to be connected to a representative. After you have finished speaking to the representative, we'd like you to take a brief survey. And uh, if you're willing to take the brief survey, please press this number. And, of course, I did not want to take the brief survey, so I did not press the number. I said, I don't want to take the brief survey. I just want my questions answered. I want to be able to get the feedback I need, and then I'm out. Well, uh, the lady came on the phone. Her name was Joanne. And when Joanne came on the phone, I was so amazed at how pleasant and how kind she was to me. Now, she's all the way in Baltimore. I'm in California. I've never seen her. I don't know this lady. But she was very, very kind to me. And she started by telling me, Mr. Lovelace, I want you to get a pen and piece of paper because I'm going to give you a lot of information. And I want you to have this. And so she proceeded to tell me certain things that I needed to know. She said, if you retire at age 65, right now this is what you would receive through Social Security. If you were to retire at age 67, this is the amount that you would receive. If you retire at age 70, this is the amount that you would receive. If you become disabled, this is the amount that you and your family your beneficiaries would receive. And then she went on to tell me some information that I was not aware of. This was information I had not even asked her. I wasn't even aware of this. She said, now, if you retire at age 65, you'll receive this amount of money. And if you continue to work at age 65, there will be a cap on how much you can earn. However, if you wait two more years, you can not only draw your Social Security, but you can also... You can also uh, continue to work and there not be a cap on your earnings. And I thought, man, this woman is giving me some information. Much like I'm giving you all free information and no one is writing. No, no one is writing in the room. Everyone's just looking at me. But this was beneficial for me to know this. This was beneficial information. So I write all this down and then she continues to tell me, if you know some veterans, make sure give them this information. If you know some people that or a certain age or a certain income bracket. Make sure to provide this information. She stayed on the phone with me for 35 minutes providing me information, and she concluded the call by, uh, I basically told her, I said, Joanne, I am so appreciative of the information that you have provided for me. And she says, well, I wanted to help you. I wanted to make sure that at the conclusion of the call, all of your questions would be answered. And she says, and by the way, I could just tell that you were a preacher by the way you were talking on the phone. I could just tell that you were a preacher. And she said, and I just wanted to make sure you had all this information. And she said these words. It, listen, she says, this call, I was supposed to receive this call from you today. I was supposed to receive this call from you today. And I concluded the call by telling her, I'm praying for you. God bless you, et cetera, et cetera. You have a blessed day. And then she asked the closing question. Would you like to take a brief survey? Would you like to take a brief survey? And I said, absolutely. Put me into the survey. I want to do it. And I gave the lady all five stars. 
The point being is that she was so gracious, and hear me, she was over and above in her hospitality. Over and above in showing her friendliness and her hospitality. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice if we would continue that in our Bridgeway family? That we would have an over and above attitude of hospitality for those who come through these doors that walk upon this beautiful campus that God has blessed us with, that we would just be over and above with wanting to build our church family, over and above with wanting to love generously and embrace people of all different backgrounds, all different economic backgrounds, ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, church, unchurch. People could come here and find a safe place and feel that they are connected to one another. That's over and above. When it comes to hospitality. In fact, in Leviticus 19.34, it reads like this. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him or love her as yourself. For you once were strangers in the land of Egypt. And he says, I'm the Lord, your God. He says, we were all strangers. There was a point when we all possibly came here at one point to this beautiful church family, and we didn't know anyone. And yet there was someone that reached out to us, and they loved us and received us as though they were loving themselves. That, that's over and above hospitality. Hebrews 13 and 1 says, let brotherly love continue. In other words, we don't just turn it on on Sunday morning. But it's something that we carry throughout our lives daily. Not just when we come in the doors of the worship center. But everywhere we go, we demonstrate the love of Jesus, the love of God. And we do so, and I say it again, with over and above hospitality. Then in Acts 28 and 2, Paul has gone into a shipwreck and he lands on the island of Malta. And he makes this observation. He says, the native people, the people that lived there, that was their home. The native people showed us, watch this, unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had began to rain and it was cold. That's over and above. Hospitality. Now I know what some of you are saying. This is wonderful. Thank you so, for sharing this brief little exhort. Thank you, Pastor Parnell. Now let's move on to Ecclesiastes. Ah, uh, no, not yet. <laughs> You might want to chalk it off and be dismissive as to say, this is not my ministry. My ministry is not the hospitality. Absolutely, it's everyone's ministry. All of us are called to demonstrate and to show hospitality to people. Now, the thing about this church family is that it's so big. It's growing. There's so many people that are coming in. And God has designed us to grow. But then that leaves us with the responsibility, watch this, of not only showing over and above hospitality with first and second and third time guests, but that means we have to show hospitality to everyone because you really can't tell who's a guest here. Yes, we have our guests fill out the cards and we connect with them and we share with them. But you really, I, I come here and week after week, I'm meeting more and more people, new people. And I'll go up to them and say, welcome. I'm so glad you're here at Bridgeway. And they'll tell me, I've been here for 15 years. <laughs> you're the newbie. <laughs> 
But the point being is, is that we demonstrate that hospitality across the board by loving people and by caring for them. And again, we thank God for our campus guides, our parking monitors, all the ones who are doing what they do. They do a wonderful job. But can I just tell all of you, all of us have been given the ministry of hospitality. All of us are called to show kindness and love. Do you agree with that? Let me quickly give you five ways that we can show hospitality to our guests, specifically our guests. My former pr- professor, Dr. Gary McIntosh at Talbot, when I was doing my doctoral studies, he made this observation that people will determine, they will determine if they're going to come back to a church not based upon necessarily how great the worship is, not necessarily great uh, uh, how great the teaching is. And in this church, it is, we're blessed with powerful worship, Powerful teaching. He says that people will determine if they will come back to a church based upon how they are treated and how they interface with people the first five minutes of their arrival and the last five minutes upon their departure. Those two areas, how they begin and how it ends. I submit to you there are five ways that we can demonstrate over and above hospitality. And I'm using the acronym SEEK, Seeking Out. And here it is. Number one, stop to greet our guests. Stop. And when you recognize someone is here for the first time, I don't care how busy you are, how much you've got going on. I don't care if you're trying to run and take care of a ministry duty that you're responsible for. Take time to stop and greet somebody. And greet them purposely and with intentionality. And I might add, with warm smiles, warm smiles, even warmer than the ones I'm receiving right now. (laughs) Warm smiles, great hugs, and strong handshakes. Not dead fish, weak handshakes. If you're going to shake my hand, shake my hand. Good hugs and warm smiles. Secondly, engage our guests. Engage them by asking questions. What is your name? Is this your wife? Is this your husband? Is this your family? By engaging them. Not just coming in and getting our seats, but taking time to engage them. How are you doing? How would you find out about Bridgeway? Engage them. Take time to smile at them, talk to them, hug them, but engage them. Maybe even ask them. I know this is a heavy, heavy thought. This is a heavy thought. But not only come in and grab your seat. But if you notice someone that's looking around trying to find a seat, introduce yourself to them and say, how about you sit with us? How about sit with my family? We'd love to have you sit with us. Again, engaging our guests. So stop to greet, engage our guests. Thirdly, encourage our guests to return. Simply saying to them, "How, how was the experience of worship for you today? How was the worship experience for you? encourage them. Uh, If they say, it was great, I enjoyed it, then you you encourage them, come back. If they say, I hated it, come back. You know, know, encourage them. And then last, keep our guests, okay, keep our guests in prayer. Take time to say, I want to note your name because my family and I, we want to be praying for you on this week. We want to be lifting your needs up in prayer. So again, stop to greet Engage our guests, encourage our guests to return, and keep our guests in prayer. You often hear me say when I'm here and we're acknowledging our guests here in the church, I'll often say, the first time that you come into this place, you are a guest. But 
Second time, we put the china away and break out the Tupperware. (laughs) Your family. And I believe that there's enough love in this place. There's enough care and compassion in this place. We who once were strangers, that we can bring people alongside of us and welcome them as family with over and above hospitality. How about you? You believe that? Come on, give God praise for that. I believe that. All right. Let's take up Ecclesiastes. Let's go. Ecclesiastes. We're going to specifically look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And uh, our beloved pastor, Pastor Lance, has assigned me right behind him, as he stated to us on last week. He was uh, leading us through Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And he stated to you that Ecclesiastes 7 and Ecclesiastes 8 is some of the most difficult passages, not only in the book of Ecclesiastes, but within the whole scriptures. And I thought to myself, as he told me that I would be covering Ecclesiastes 8, I said, thanks a lot, Pastor Lance. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you've got me looking at a passage in which the writer who we've identified and believed to be Solomon, he is all over the place. I mean, he's hard to track through the passage. And yet, as I look at it, and I told Pastor Lance this on last week when uh, he had just finished preaching, and I was kind of lamenting over the fact, and I was, I was lamenting over the fact that I had a difficult passage to have to teach from. And of course, he was so supportive in his wonderful response of affirmation. Woo! You know, I knew that I was going to be okay, all right? So having said that, we're going to tackle this. But I also suggest to you and submit to you that because God does not do anything by accident, he orchestrated and providentially set it up that I would be teaching today. Literally months ago, I was scheduled to share on this particular Sunday and share from this particular passage. And I say to you, God makes no mistakes. He does all things well. And so before we look at Ecclesiastes, I have a passage that I just want to note is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I go here because some would ask, why Ecclesiastes? Why not go to a passage or to a book that is more simple to understand, more commonly read, more commonly taught? Why Ecclesiastes? Well, in 2 Timothy 3.14, we find these words. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul writes, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, he's speaking now to the particular person in which he's writing the book. He says, "Uh, you've learned from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Keep hold of what I've taught you, but also go back. Timothy, go back to what you received in the sacred writings. Well, the sacred writings, I submit to you that he was referencing, included Ecclesiastes. It included Ecclesiastes, which he says, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, not some scripture, not just the new covenant, but even the old covenant where Ecclesiastes is located. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped 
for every good work. Why do we need Ecclesiastes? It's because we want to be trained in righteousness. We want to be trained in the things of God so that we can apply it to our families, apply it to our lives, apply it to ministry, apply it to our career, apply it to our education. We want to be trained in righteousness and we also want to be complete so that we are equipped. Watch this. So that we can be equipped to do every good work as God puts before us the opportunity. See, there are opportunities all around us. There are opportunities that the Father presents to you today. There will be opportunities He's going to present to you tomorrow. There will be opportunities He'll give you this week. Opportunities throughout the month. And we want to be equipped and trained to embrace those opportunities and not necessarily run from them. That brings us now to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and the first verse. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. Who is like the wise? Who knows an interpretation of a thing? Something that's going on. Things that are happening. Who knows the interpretation? Who who has an answer? Who can give guidance to this? A person's wisdom that comes from In essence, understanding God's word, embracing the fullness of God's word, embracing the things that God has. A man's wisdom makes his face shine even though, even though the circumstances of life have caused a hardness of the face. A hardness of a face. That's that's a despondency, a, a sense of disillusionment. It can be confusion. It can be fear. The hardness of the face can represent that which I don't know what to do. That that presents a hardness of the face. But he says there's some help. There's some hope. There's some answer. There's there's wisdom. I must admit to you that as I think through life in general, it's full of questions that arise during various vicissitudes that present themselves in I have to be honest, many of life's challenges that I observe seem to be so unjust. There are so many things that seemingly present themselves that leave me, even after being a believer for now nearly 47 years of my life, being in ministry for 35 years of my life, there are still some things that throw me. I can't get a handle on it. I can't wrap my mind around why certain things happen in life. Let me be specific. I, I worked at UC Davis Medical Center as a pediatric intensive care social worker for six years of my life and, and part of my career, early career back in the 90s. And I often posed the question, why is it that certain people, when we pray, they're healed, and then there are others, when we pray, they're not healed? I can't understand that. Why is it that a little child A little child that has not even began to live out life, has not even began to experience the fullness of life, can be captivated and taken by some catastrophic or devastating disease, and yet you take a grown 50, 60, 70 year old hellion, and it seems like they live forever. They just won't die. (laughs) I can't grasp that. I can't grasp why these things happen. I cannot grasp 
Why it is that there are times that I've earnestly prayed for people and I've watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet there was a period of time that I prayed for both of my parents that God would work a miracle for them and heal their body. And yet both of them would fall asleep in my arms to go to be with Jesus. Those things baffle me. I struggle with the fact that someone can come to a job with little experience, little or no experience, and be hired immediately. And then on that same job, in that same company or that same organization, a person can be on a job for 20 years and be laid off. It seems so unjust. My mind struggles with that. I, I struggle with the political season that we live in right now. I struggle with that. My mind goes back and forth and back and forth. I struggle with the events that have taken place recently. And by the way, that we have heard about that have taken place within this last week, but have been going on historically for many, many years. I struggle with that. I struggle with the challenges that our nation faced. I struggle with what happened in Dallas. I struggle with what happened in Baton Rouge. I struggle with what happened in Minneapolis and then Ferguson and then in Chicago and in Cleveland and all around this nation. I see all of these things happening and I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. I think that this is where Solomon was. I think this is what he was addressing here. He's trying to wrap his mind around all of the things that he's observing. And he brings out this fact. He says, if we're going to deal with it, it's going to take wisdom. Not, hear me, not personal commentary, not opinion, not political correctness. But what does the word of God say? Is there a word from the Lord? Is there something that God is speaking to us? I have to tell you, I've had some interesting conversations the last few days. Interesting conversations. I've been all over the place, just like Solomon. I'm all over the place. I'm having conversations that one moment it's got me angry. Another moment it's got me uh, tremendously sad and lamenting. Another moment it's got me kind of just laughing at myself. I'm all over the board in my emotions. Conversations have gone like this. I, I have a conversation this week with my goddaughter, who is a sheriff deputy in Sacramento. And uh, hard conversation. She's just been sharing with me, and I've been trying to tell her, I need you to be careful. I need you to be vigilant. I need you to make, make sure that you take care of yourself. Don't, don't, I, I said, sweetheart, don't wear, don't wear your uniform unless you're on duty. Don't wear it out in public. Only if you're on duty. But don't just wear it everywhere. Everyone does not support you, sadly. I've had to have that conversation with her. A few days ago, I had a conversation with the chief of police here in Roseville, who's a dear friend of mine. We actually did a leadership training together, became very close. His name is Daniel Hahn. He's the first African-American police chief in Roseville. And the conversation I had with him came at a time when he was sitting in his office. He was challenged. He was frustrated by the things that were happening there in Dallas. And the Lord just put upon my heart to communicate with him. He texts me back. He says, your timing is impeccable. I needed to hear from you. And I shared these words with you. I shared this with him. I also shared this with my friend, Chief Sam Summers in Sacramento. I want you to know that Diana and I are praying for you. We're praying for your families. 
and we're praying for your entire department, and we want you to know that we care and we appreciate all that you are doing. We communicated that to him. Hard conversation. But then I had to flip to another discussion or another conversation with an 18-year-old son, my son Tyrell, who just graduated from high school. He was getting ready to head out the door with his best friend to celebrate their graduation. And instead of being able to say to them, as a typical father would say, a father would say, and that is, be careful, have a good time, make sure you come home, don't come in here late, the whole nine yards. I also had to add, if you get stopped by the police, if you get stopped by the police, I need you to comply to what they're asking you to do. I had to go there. I had to have a very clear conversation with him. I know some of you would look at me and say, why do you have to have that type of conversation? Because, beloved, my reality, the reality of my life and the reality of many people's life is that many times there are some bad folks who wear a uniform. And there are times when some people do some things that are not always recorded on Social media. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I had to have that hard conversation. Be respectful. Why do I have to have that conversation with my son? Because my 18-year-old son, I had to tell him, don't talk back, especially like you talk back to me sometimes. Because <laughs> he gets upset, he gets scared, and he starts running his mouth. Not unlike many 18-year-olds when they get nervous. He starts running his mouth. He thinks he's big man. And I had to tell him, you can't be big man if they're communicating to you to do something. Get to a place where you can call me and I'll come and deal with it. My son has never been in trouble with the law. We've never had to go to juvenile hall. We've never had to go to the courthouse. I had to sit on one hand and celebrate with his mother, celebrate his graduation, but at the same time celebrate the fact that he, she and I have been able to keep this boy alive for 18 years. You follow what I'm saying? That's, that's my reality. I need wisdom. I don't know what to do with that. I'm all over the board with this. I need some help with this. Listen to what the passage says in verse 2. I say, keep the king's command. Because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. I was encouraged two nights ago. As we had just finished the newcomer's dessert, met a wonderful group of people that are now coming close and finding out more about our ministry here. And I was standing right here with Pastor Lance, and he had written a Facebook post, and I told him twice that day, but I ended it in my conversation with him the other evening. We were standing here, and I said... Uh, he was addressing all that was going on in regards to the news and recent events. And I said to him these words. I said, Nats, I'm going to say this to you. You are bold. You are courageous. And you are crazy. What in the world are you doing? 
And I said this to him. I have never met in my life or interface in all my years of working with people. I've never met a non-African-American person, leader in particular, that could articulate and address a very pivotal issue that's at the core of our nation. And I said to him these words, you speak truth. You speak truth. I need you to know, Bridgeway family, I feel good this morning, despite all that is happening in our world, I feel real confident and real good that I'm in a house today that is not afraid of the truth. Are you hearing me? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. No, I'm playing with you. I'm glad I'm in the house where we can be real and speak the truth. Not speak what we think and feel. We can speak what we think or feel, but the bottom line is we go back to what does the book say? What does truth say? What is the prophetic proclamation that God is speaking into our lives to us through his Holy Spirit and through us through his Holy Spirit to others? That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. And and in this passage in verse 2, he kind of sets a foundation for that by talking about keep the king's command. What he's talking about here, watch this, he's speaking of the importance, the value of understanding The need to watch our tone when it comes to authority. Not just ramp up. Not just ramp up with a, with a dialogue, with a debative dialogue, but rather understanding the context of authority that has been presented before us. Let me give you two examples of that. Uh, first example, I serve on the senior leadership team here at the church. There's a group of four of us that includes our pastor. The other is Pastor Brian, uh, Kylie, and then also uh, Miss Heidi, who serves as our chief operations officer. We meet every Monday at 1 o'clock to discuss the business of the ministry as it relates to our various departments of ministry. And the thing I love about it, I sit in the midst of some of the most brilliant, godly minds that I've ever been around that are helping to lead this ministry. It is powerful to me to sit in that room from 1 o'clock, sometimes to 4. If we go long, sometimes even later. But it's just powerful to sit in the room and have the discussion that we're having. And all of us have a mutual respect for each other. All of us will share what our thoughts are and what have you. But the thing I also appreciate is that there seems to be, in reference to our pastor, a sense of deferring to him as being the final call on it. We'll, get, we'll chime in. He'll pull from us. But then there seems to be a part of us that says, now, pastor, what, what's your heart on this? Now, what is happening? We're recognizing the authority that God has given him as the lead pastor. So we, we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that there's an anointing. It's, listen, authority does not take something away from you. Authority is something that you give towards. And that's what we do. We give towards him an authority that God, we affirm the authority that God has given him. And he'll tell me often, he says, I can tell, Parnell, when you are not in agreement with me. I can tell when you're not in agreement. And he says, because you'll, you'll just kind of sit back and you'll be quiet. You won't say anything. And I, I have to tell him, I learned that 
uh, really from two sources. I learned it from my parents and I also learned it from my wife whom I've been married to for 22 years. My wife has taught me some things about learning how to sit back and be quiet. I think I told you all about the first uh, about five years ago or so, we were sitting in the living room. I was sitting in my lazy boy rocker. I was frustrated about the day. I was tired. She was sitting on the couch and she leaned over and she says, she leans forward and says, what would you like for dinner? And I, I kind of grumbled under my breath. I said, spaghetti, whatever. And so she leaned forward. She said, what'd you say? I leaned back. I said, spaghetti. Now, for you who don't understand the context of this, it's okay. My wife is from East Palo Alto, California. Okay. My wife leaned forward. She said, oh, no, player. No, no, no. Back that train up. You will not speak to me in that tone of voice. See, it taught me real clear. Yes, my love. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm fine. There's a way that I respond to my wife because I respect who she is in my life. I learned that from her. See, I learned the importance of, again, respecting authority. Here he says, keep the king's command. Uh, let me put it to you this way. It's, a, it's imperative that we know when to speak and when not to speak. My parents used to say like this, it's better to remain quiet and be perceived a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> it's better to quiet yourself. And I think, I think many times when we quiet ourselves, watch me, when we quiet ourselves, it's not, listen, it's not giving up anything, but it's giving ourselves over to hear from God. It's giving ourselves over to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. To speak to us. Well, I just have to say, do you? Well, I feel, really? Can, can, can you bring it in with the boss that you want to go in to the office tomorrow and kind of snap and tell them what you think? As though you go to the boss and say, who do you think you are? I think they think they're the boss. Can, can, can we bring ourselves in to saying, Lord, I'm going to quiet myself to hear from you. I'm going to respect the authority that is put before me. It's interesting. Look at verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? In other words, we're all over the board. There's so much happening. Nothing seems predictable. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war. In other words, all of us, we're in the battle. Nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Bad things are going to happen to good people. Bad things will happen to good people. There'll be some times when you will look and it seems like people who are not even walking with God, who are doing evil things, it appears that they're prospering. They're doing great. I'm living for God, but it seems like I'm being attacked. I'm being challenged in every area of my life. There's no discharge from war. Nor wickedness 
delivers those who are given to it. All this I observed, Solomon says, while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. I want you to take your fill-in, if you will, please, and fill this in on your paper. God guarantees a glorious outcome, not the pathway there. God, glorif- God guarantees a glorious outcome, but not the pathway there. When it's said and done, when it all shakes out, it's going to be glorious. But getting there, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be some hurt. It's going to be some fears. There's going to be some disillusionment. There's going to be some things like I just described to you, where I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to address this. What do I say to the police chief? What do I say to the, the community activist? What do I say to the person whose family is grieving and is hurting? What do I say to the person that's marching in the street? What do I say to my 18-year-old son? What do I say to all of the people that I'm getting ready to minister to this morning? What do I say? God says, let them know that I'm still on the throne. I'm still God. Contrary to whatever the media has to say. Contrary to what CNN, Fox News, ABC, CBS, NBC, their observation, the bottom line, there is a word from the Lord. There is a word from the Lord. There is a word from the Lord. God is not giving up on us. And I'm not throwing in the towel on God. God is up to something. And it's good. Let's get ready to close it up. Look at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. It seems like the person who does evil, they don't get dealt with immediately. And the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Here's the bottom line. It may appear that the wicked are getting away with something. It may appear that the ungodly are getting away with something. But we serve a God who is just and he will deal with it. Man sees some of the time, but God knows all of the time. All of the time. Verse 14. There is vanity that takes place on earth, and there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. In other words, bad things happen to good people. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. Seems like good things happen for them. I said that this is all vanity. But notice what he says in verse 15. And I commended myself to joy. For man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go, to, this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Here's what he's saying. He says the bottom line is I can sit around and be depressed. I can be sad. I can be disillusioned. I can be discouraged. Or I can get up and make sure that I put into my heart that this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. 
I choose to eat. I choose to drink. I choose to love my family. I choose to do something by, by reaching out to the individuals that are around me and loving them and giving them the, the attention that God has poured into my heart to give towards them. I can do something with this day that God has given me. Let me put it in the Lovelace translation. I can run to Coldstone and put in three mix-ins instead of two. Live this life to the fullness that God has called me to live it in. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, he closes, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. When I gave myself over to wisdom, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking and working in his own strength, he will not find it. Even though a wise man, that means human wisdom, claims to know, he cannot find it out. He cannot find it out. But I'm glad there's wisdom that comes to us today from the Father. It's going to be rough traveling, folks. Sometimes the late Bishop Sherwood Carthen used to say, sometimes you got to build a bridge while you're walking across it. Sometimes you got to go the hard route, but it's going to be a glorious outcome. I don't know how all of this is going to pan out, but I know when God gets done with it, it's going to work, y'all. It's going to work. Romans 8.26 tells us, in the same way that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know. Say that with me. And I know. Come on, say it strong. And I know. Yeah. He says, and we know that all things, all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and been a call and have been called according to his purpose. God's work in this. I, I like to bake pound cake. <clears throat> I like to bake pound cake. I'm a, you can tell I'm a sweet tooth. I like to bake pound cake. And uh, I found out something. Salt by itself is not that good. Flour put aside by itself is tasteless. Uh, raw eggs, no, not much you can do with that unless you're doing a protein shake. And, and uh, uh, sugar by itself, not that great. Vanilla flavoring. As wonderful as it accents food by itself, it's the nastiest stuff. <laughs> but I found out that if you put it all together and put a little heat on it, after you mix it all together and put a little heat on it, y'all, that bad boy comes out tasting like something. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I don't know how it's all going to come together but I'm here to encourage you today. I got good news for you, Bridgeway. All things are working together for the good because we love God. I said because we love God. I said because we love God. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want the prayer team to come up if they will, please. I want you to be encouraged. You don't have to hold your head down. Yeah, we're all over the place. All kind of opinions swirling around us, but God's in charge. Our responsibility is to let the Holy Spirit minister to us and then through us. 
and touch one individual at a time. I can't take on the whole world, but I can take on how I treat the person behind me or in front of me or the person that I go to school with or go to work with or live with. I want to pray with you. In fact, will you do something? Join hands all across the auditorium and just take hands together and don't even be afraid to touch one another. We, get, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray as a family. That's it. Grab hold of those hands. Because we, we need to pray. We need to pray. There are people here that are fearful, that are full of anxiety. They don't know what to do. There are those of you that say, I, I, I don't understand. Join the club. I don't either. I don't know what to do either. But I do know that I have to care for the people that are before me right now. I have to live my life with the joy that God has given me to help me to sustain me through what's going on right now. Hold that hand. Squeeze that hand tight. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. We are leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Church, we're leaning on the everlasting arms. We're leaning, every one of us, we're leaning, safe and secure from all along. We are leaning on Jesus. We are leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Father, we're leaning on you. We don't know what to do. In our own strength. But we put our full trust. And dependency upon you. Help us to be Christ like. Not just in name. But in our actions. Help us. To love others. The way you have loved us. And navigate us through the storm. And we'll give you all the praise. Anoint now our prayer team. As they pray for people all throughout the auditorium that will come forward. Courageously saying, will you pray with me? Maybe someone who's dealing with anxiety or fear or sickness, disease, hurt. Someone who says, I just want to be in the will of God. Let this altar be full of people, God, who seek after you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, beloved. We love you. Have a blessed day.